Hi, I'm Camille Richmond, co-founder and CEO of Hamama. Welcome to Founders First, a podcast by 1517 Fund. This is a deep dive conversation into how exactly founders of venture-backed startups get started. We look at what led them to their ideas, how they did customer discovery, built their first products, and landed their first customers. And you are along for the ride. Welcome to Founders First. offer a fail-proof way to grow microgreens at home year-round with this uh, new seed packaging we invented called a seed quilt. So what exactly are microgreens? So microgreens are the seedling versions of regular veggies that you know and love. Cabbage, broccoli. Oh, didn't get any faces there. You like cabbage and broccoli? I mean, I'm, I'm a customer of yours, so... <laughs> yeah, all right, yes. Yes, not not uh, coming into this blind. Big I, I grower imagine. here, yeah, expert hamama grower. If you're telling someone, <laughs> yeah, we, we help you grow uh, cabbage and broccoli. I can't imagine that that might be a little divisive. Yeah, I look for like signs of a favorite or least favorite veggie. I like the spicy radish. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's really good. Oh, yeah. Big fan of that. The, the, the broccoli seedlings are also really good. Did you know that George H.W. Bush had broccoli banned from the White House? I did not know this. He hated broccoli that much. Wow. Yeah. I got to get some, some micro broccoli into his hands because that's kind of one of He's the cool things oh hw oh god oh so, my god i mean you could but they really, they really wouldn't oh, do anything that's horrible into his hands okay let's remove that picture sorry everyone so so mama helps you uh grow microgreens at home uh year round uh, why might somebody want to grow microgreens if they don't already do this? Like I, when I first was familiarized with the concept, I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, this is like for like bougie, like salad restaurants, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> and that is really where microgreens kind of got their start. Um, and what some people know microgreens from is that, you know, in a nice restaurant, maybe there'd be one or two little seedlings. Like as a garnish. Exactly. Just to kind of look nice, give it a little gourmet touch, but then also they're really flavorful. So yeah, I didn't actually finish saying what microgreens are. So they're the baby versions of these vegetables. So radish, broccoli, cabbage, arugula, all these different kinds of veggies. Um, just like you and I, they were babies once. So <laughs> we're eating them as babies. Okay. Okay, this doesn't make me want to use my hamama, but okay, yeah. that's one way of no, explaining I it. I love when little kids grow with hamama and, and some are like, I need to eat the babies. <laughs> it's very cute. But yes, the baby veggie, they taste exactly like the regular version. So the radish microgreen is still really radishy, if not even more radishy than a more mature radish. Um, I, I tend to find group. that they're actually like more flavorful. Yeah. Yeah, so very concentrated flavor. And then they've gotten more popular as more than just a garnish as well because uh, USDA studies came out um, showing that they, they uh, analyzed uh, you know, dozens of varieties of microgreens and compared the results to uh, mature veggie nutrition info and found that they were up to 40 times more nutritious uh, depending on what vitamins you're looking at or minerals as well. So very interesting as kind of a functional food. 
that could be a great source of veggies for your diet. So yeah, I mean, I started using it because I eat a lot of meat and I have a very hard time eating enough vegetables. Mm, yep. So it's, it's a good way to like throw it on a steak or yeah. on eggs or something. Me too. I'm a vegetarian that is like not super gung ho about vegetables, which <laughs> normally means like I just like carbs, which I feel like a lot of people, it's like, that's what you gravitate towards. Um, but I, you know, I kind of have a similar thing where it's like, yeah, grab a handful, put it on every meal. Um, and kind of get a veggie serving in. And yeah, actually getting into Hamama, uh, and we can talk about how we, how my co-founder and I started it, but yeah, it please. wasn't necessarily from the kind of health or wellness side of things because we're both engineers. It was more from a like, you know, food production um, and efficiency side right, and, of and things. And you didn't, you didn't set out to launch a direct-to-consumer subscription yeah. microgreen company, right? Yeah, no, but now I'm like really excited uh, that we did and uh, love the kind of direct touch that we have with customers and love being able to see the impact we're having in people's lives every single day. But yeah, just like from a personal standpoint, I feel like being in this business, I myself have just like gotten a lot more healthy around my choices, eating more other veggies too. And uh, yeah, learning a lot even from customers. Yeah. who who? What does your customer typically look like? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think mostly people assume that it's uh, millennials and kind of like a, oh yeah, that's cute. Like growing microgreens at home. That seems like a fun millennial thing to do in your apartment and wherever. And, you know, that's certainly what we thought at first might happen because what we also do is just make it incredibly easy to grow something and grow food at home, which the largest part of the food gardening market, at least the largest growing segment is millennials who maybe didn't grow up gardening, don't have the skills or knowledge around gardening and, you know, maybe live in an apartment and don't have the resources in terms of space, et cetera, to start growing. It would typically like kill a succulent if they actually had to actually garden exactly <laughs> <laughs> and those are really tough to kill <laughs> right. i've never killed a succulent thankfully but I, I actually know how to garden so yeah, so, yeah i think um and that's another okay interesting customer segment here zach um but it turned out that yes that was a segment but actually our most um engaged customers are people who do actually do a lot of gardening already um, and want to garden more. Garden year-round is a big thing. So being able to do that indoors in a convenient, mess-free way. And so yeah, it actually has turned out that our biggest customer base is baby boomer hmm. uh, is baby boomer women hmm. um, who like gardening and um, cooking and uh, care about um, maximizing their health. And so that was really cool to see. And yeah, to kind of like a, a pivot in terms of who we thought would like it. Well, I, I mean, how do two engineers end up running a company that not only does this, seems like very not in the direction of like your typical engineering graduate, uh, but does this without setting out to do something like this? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's a lot of like staying true to what you think should be out there and what you want to see out there. But what did you originally set out to try to build? Yeah. So 
We, um, so my co-founder and I met in school. We both were at MIT, mechanical engineering, and we were doing research in larger scale indoor agriculture. And so we were growing all kinds of produce so like year farming. round. Yeah, yeah. So kind of within the vertical uh, urban farming um, movement. And so we were, you know, learning how to grow all these veggies indoors hydroponically without soil and, you know, harvesting produce in Boston uh, when there's a blizzard outside and getting really excited about the power of indoor ag to provide the freshest possible produce to people no matter where they live, no matter the season, being able to provide a, a really consistent, nutritious crop to people without having to transport it. And so we ended up doing some research on a smaller scale um, where we created this open source research platform where you could kind of plug in, you know, kind of parameters, see what happens to the crop on the other side, um, where the idea was like, hey, if we make this open source platform, people can improve on it. And then, you know, we can create all this data to understand where what makes crops do this or that. So when you say platform, you, you mean a software platform or you were building a, an was, actual infrastructure for, that people could test on? So it was both. So it was um, it was basically a kind of desktop cube with a hydroponic system in it. My thesis was like a very simple first kind of recipe for it where uh, I harmed some basil to make a point that <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that uh, um, you know, small changes in, you know, temperature of the water. Well, basil is not particularly hardy. Not at yeah. all. Yeah. So it's it was, hard to keep a basil plant alive. Yeah. I leave for like a trip to come out here to the Bay Area and I tell my roommate, water the basil plant. <laughs> and no matter what, I'll come home in like three or four days and it's half dead. Yep. Nope. Not going to happen. Yeah. yeah not, not a <laughs> Just hardy don't plant. travel. No. Yeah. Take it with you. I've I have seen it. people take hamamas on the plane with them. That makes my day. <laughs> But so it was so but the, the the idea was that, yes, you know, all of these things affect crop growth. And like everyone knows that, right? Like farmers do certain things like an added stressor to bring this flavor out or change the yield or whatever it is. But wouldn't it be cool if there was this this kind of research tool where you could have all these people around the world doing those experiments and sharing that data so that you could kind of correlate, oh, changing this does this to the yield or the flavor. Um, so that was kind of the idea. And kind of what we essentially built, though, was this smart garden where when consumers or, you know, the public saw it, they were like, oh, great, like a, a robo garden that can fit in my in the corner of my house and grow me food. I don't know how to garden. I um, want fresh food year round. Yeah. When can I buy it? And we're over here like, oh, yeah, well, this is a research tool. platform. <laughs> it's like really hard to use and like it's still getting developed. <laughs> and this isn't the solution. Um, but, you know, light bulbs kept turning on of, wow, people are really interested in this. So where did you find, like, were these, like, spouses or friends of, like, you, the users? How did they come across these? If, if you were using them as a research tool. Yeah. It sounds well, like you have, you have researchers using them, but then you have, like, non-researchers seeing them in the wild and saying, like, I want to buy that. Yeah. So how did that happen? Well, I think it was a mixture of 
like people coming through the lab and seeing things. We also did some things in the education space, also did some things, community building things where with the open source nature of it, the idea was like, you know, get people who are interested in the project to be building around it. And I think in that kind of exploration of who would who might be that persona, we got a lot of the other persona where people were looking for a more finished, more consumer product-y solution. And so, yeah, I think throughout just, you know, that was maybe two or three years of uh, working in the space, um, kind of coming across those experiences in a way that started to seem like a pattern and thinking, well, this isn't the solution, but there's this interest in this value proposition. Like, what is the real way to deliver what people are are looking for? And so we ended up inventing the seed quilt. Can I talk a little bit about the seed quilt? Yeah. So the seed quilt is a seed packaging that combines the grow media and seeds and makes it so that our customers only have to add water once, put in a seed quilt, walk away, come back in a week. and No dirt. No dirt. No, yep. Yeah. Super clean, super easy. So it's basically that automated farming notion that people were super excited about packaged into a really <laughs> kind of pragmatic, affordable way to deliver automated farming where the end product is still basically status quo pricing to what you might find at the grocery store so that it could actually be more than just kind of a novelty or hobby it could be a way to have you know this oh, we have ours around our kitchen dense. yeah like yay we actually <laughs> use it um so so how did you come to the realization that you could embed these seeds in fiber and totally remove the need for dirt or anything like that yeah i think that so we were already working in that space of soilless farming so that was kind of our background. Yeah, because that's that's a necessary component of vertical farming, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's pri well. usually those are are with soilless systems, so either hydroponics or aeroponics. Where with aeroponics, um, it's a kind of a fine mist that is delivering the water and nutrients. So we had we'd had experience with that kind of farming. Funnily enough, I didn't do much <laughs> growing in in soil at all until we moved out here and it's hard <laughs> <laughs> well you know what i don't think it's hard it the hardest part is is the outdoorness of it yeah just no, like things it gets eating cold it at night and, like and it's cold yeah yeah yep. like the real world Did happens it, yeah the real world and it's like you know there's bugs on here i should do something about this <laughs> and i'm like well i don't know they got to it first <laughs> it's, it's only fair it <laughs> yeah it's just, just let the bugs yeah <laughs> so so you've already been working with soilless farming soilless growing and you realized okay people want something like this this desktop test system we have mm -hmm. but this is a research platform they don't want to actually buy it is there a way for us to apply what we know to actually give them something Right. That they could actually buy. Right. Yeah. And it ended up being a lot of first understanding who was interested and why they were interested. So talking to a lot of people. So yeah, let's, we would let's literally... Let's talk about customer discovery. Um, yeah. How, how did you go about that? So we, we walked around San Francisco, actually, 
was the first thing that we did. That's perilous in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> so we walked around San Francisco and interrogated people on the street. That's not Funny. unusual to see here. Yeah. People yeah. running around yelling at people on the street. You know what's okay. <laughs> Like that, that, that happened to okay, me three I times. I thought you were going to say just startup wise. I was like nodding along no, for no, that. No, no, but no, yeah. Maybe. But on that thread, we got super lucky. We were in front of the city hall uh, during lunchtime when people are like lining up uh, at the food trucks there. And literally the first person that we approached, we were like, hey, um, we're doing some market research. Would you answer some questions? And this guy was like, yes, I would love to do that. Let it out. What do you want to know? And I was like, whoa. Yeah, that's <laughs> that, a good, that's a yeah, good confidence that's a booster. Great, <laughs> wow, I was not expecting that. Uh, so we go through our, our questions and at the end he's like, so I'm a market researcher <laughs> and here's some tips for you as you like go about on your day. It's like great San Francisco moment, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's actually a good one. Yeah, was awesome. I was totally unsure where that story was going yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah, sorry, getting a little distracted. But we we eventually understood that kind of to be a an interesting solution that actually had impact that we might actually want to move away from kind of the the smart thing, where you know an upfront investment isn't ideal. And when it comes to food, people are doing the math of like, why would I grow it myself versus go to the store, depending on where you are, of course. And so, you know, there was this kind of pragmatic lens that got flipped on when you move from academia to, all right, building a product, um, where these were things that we didn't have to think about before and kind of empathize with, all right, why would someone actually buy this? Um, and what is going on in their head? And so we realized it's not about the sensors or the smartness. It's about what those could deliver. Right. It's um, not the features. It's the benefits yeah. of the features. Right, right. So, and then we gradually realized pairing that with kind of the 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 upfront capital investment that a lot of kind of smart gadgets require is like, wow, well, what if we could get rid of that, but still offer those features? And so that was really the thinking that the seed quote was born out of where, and it was actually kind of fun for us because we're mechanical engineers, but we had been doing a lot of kind of on the EE side. Um, So it was fun for us to go back to just like, all right, well, yeah, how could we do this mechanically or by the materials we choose the manufacturing process that we invent to go along with it? And yeah, tons of testing, prototyping. Yeah, can you talk about that prototyping process? Yeah, basically just growing on every surface and a lot of testing different factors. And yeah, just, well, luckily with microgreens, it's so short a time to iterate. I mean, it felt like a long time because it was like a week to wait for some results. But, you know, I would always tell myself, be thankful. It's not, you know, the regular three or four months. So, yeah, just tons of iterating on the parameters that were important. What, what, what are some of the materials that you tried? Oh, man. Um, so many things. Uh, and form factors. Fun fact, it used to be a seed ravioli. <laughs> okay. So I'm imagining like pillow-shaped kind of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I call it a seed like, pillow, but I, I like that you went for ravioli, I guess. Yeah, it, it's my favorite food. 
<laughs> hey, I can imagine <laughs> if you named your product after it. Yeah. Um, but then quilt came from the f- fact that we actually went to literally sewing materials together. There's something about seed quilt that sounds kind of high tech. Yeah. <laughs> in some kind of way. Like I, I think like That's this embedded quilt, maybe because I right. think like smart, like smart clothing or something. Mm, interesting. So so you're experimenting with all these different materials and then you end up landing on what you're using now. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you start selling these to people? Yeah. So this is after you, how, how long did you do customer discovery? Do you know how many people you talked oh, to? Oh man, I don't know how many people, but I'd say it was, it was all kind of interspersed of, you know, talking to people, prototyping, really enjoying prototyping and building stuff and then realizing, oh, wait, this isn't productive. We need to talk to people again. Then going back and forth, doing some user testing. And that overall blended was a six-month period before we launched the product. Um, And then that launch was kind of a, all right, well, let's throw a site together and it's December, so let's try to get our friends and family to buy it for their friends for the holidays. And that was our first first month of sales just like all right cool manufacturing what we had to and uh in the in my co-founder's parents garage and <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it was fun the garage was like manufacturing their dining room was the fulfillment area and then the kitchen table was the uh um like packaging area <laughs> and you actually have like a warehouse now right now we have a warehouse so it's pretty pretty cool today we had the most people we've ever had in the warehouse so it was like before i left i like peeked in i was like whoa this is crazy <laughs> so i'm just trying to put together the arc here because it's it's quite a far cry from these like academic researchers building something to help other academic researchers uh so you you get told by people like hey this is interesting i might want to buy something like this and you realize, like, okay, maybe we could actually do something here. Then you start talking to more people and ask them, like, how much they'd be willing to spend on it. Yeah. Like, what are some of the questions you asked people? Yeah, yeah. How much would you be willing to spend on it? Um, trying to also get a picture of who that person is. So, like, taking some notes on, like, you know, age, um, you know, what they do for a living, you know, where they live, where we spoke to them. And, yeah, kind of do you garden? What's your experience with gardening? Like, is that even something you think about or care about? Um, Then kind of more food-related questions of, you know, what do you like to eat? Why do you eat these things? Why do you go to these lengths to get these certain items, So you're essentially just psychoanalyzing people in (laughs) San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. In a very pointed way around gardening and food and... So, so you end up putting together the the first set of seed quilts, and you have your friends and family buy some of them. How did you how did you approach the after your friends and family bought some? How did you approach like the actual business side of it? Yeah, getting more, getting customers, um, fulfillment. Yeah. Uh, where to go from there? Yeah, did we're you have, like, kind guides of along the way. People who've done this before. Yeah, that's the most amazing thing is talking, being able to talk to people who have done it before or in it with you. So that is huge. I think what something about us is that we like always want to do it ourselves first. So, you know, I mean, we were joking earlier that I've had 
friends and family members like on the chat box on your website yeah it's actually I you know chatting you would, yeah <laughs> your dad and I are tight <laughs> it's like oh okay Camille's still doing that yeah okay. <laughs> well the thing is too that I still carry on conversations and threads with people who like I've been talking to for maybe two or two years now you know so I'll still take that ticket because hmm. um, we have two on customer support now and they're rocking it and it's amazing to have that help because before it was in the evenings from like 6 to 1 a.m. I'd just be like doing tickets. And it was my favorite thing, too, because it's so important to know what people are saying, what they're, what's going wrong, what's going right, why people bought it, why they're giving it to someone else. It's just so valuable. And so, yeah, I think transferring that over has just been amazing because um I can see like how this could how that same kind of close person to person experience could scale as I mean, long it's as a version the... of customer discovery oh yeah yeah actually. you don't just do customer discovery when you're oh, developing yeah. a product for the first time <laughs> totally yeah no still every day it's like oh I, even you know, learning about a new use case of, oh, I'm growing this on my sailboat because I will run out of fresh greens on day three and this will be my fresh greens and I'll have like canned food, you know? So like just weird stuff I you would never have thought and just really cool stories too. Um, and you get to see, see it happening day to day. And then of course all of the like, oh, I want to grow this or it would be cool if you did this. Uh, so for product development, and ideation it's incredible and and so far you've been building this as an e-commerce business yes Yes. yeah so yeah going back to how did you start on the business side get more customers we started with the e-commerce site that we put uh the online store we put together and then we also wanted to experiment it wasn't a subscription at that point um, so we also wanted to experiment with other models. So we tested like grocery and a garden store and uh, we sold at farmer's markets for a really long time. And that was great too, because we could be face to face with people every week. And then eventually wanted to focus in on e-commerce, had gotten feedback at the farmer's markets that people were interested in subscriptions um, and tested that. And we're like, all right, let's do it. This is going. And just focus back in on, on the e-com subscription. So how'd you grow the business uh, after you're talking to people at farmer's markets, you decide you're going to focus on e-commerce? Because if yeah. you are doing like farmer's markets, you know, that's a pretty straightforward way of growing the business is you just get a booth at a farmer's market and you go to as many of those as you can, right? Yeah. Well, like it's a good it's a good uh, lesson in how markets work and why investors ask about a market size because it's like a microcosm. You see, all right, I've been here like every Saturday for three months. Yeah, I've saturated the market. Yeah. I see I see how that works now. Yeah, yeah. Like I still have, and I see how retention works and like, you know, maybe it's still useful for me to be here because, you know, I have the returning customers, but I'm not getting the new ones. Okay, so what can I do to like, keep those returning customers happy so it's kind of a cool yeah like how you know, can you keep them happy without having to actually be there right you've already saturated the market like right subscription could do that yeah and so yeah once we focused in on the online store it was like all right online presence this is our face um so how do we you know make the brand really inviting and 
and how do we uh, present ourselves on social um, and how do we still Social's have this one-to-one. Social's been a big part for you guys, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we... Yeah, like if, if someone's listening to this and they're curious what a hamama looks like, is just <laughs> go find it on Instagram. Yep. Hamama.com. Hamama underscore greens on Instagram. It's a very Instagrammable product. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's the best place for content and like showing the product itself the growing the excitement around the different parts of the growing process and yeah really shareable on instagram so we're always sharing stories from our customers and then on facebook we have a group where people are really active and sharing kind of more detailed stuff so you know stories and recipes full-length recipes or you know helping each other out with their growing setups so yeah, there's kind of, it's cool to see, you know, there's a place for, there's a platform for these different kind of mediums. So for something like this, I, I can imagine it's very much one of these things where once you have so much demand that the demand is outpacing your supply, that's probably when you go raise money. But what mm-hmm. was, what was your decision to yeah. raise money? Because I've seen a handful of e-commerce businesses raise money. Um, but it's usually from individuals, not not too often from firms. Yeah. I know that one of the things that uh, when Danielle made the decision that 1517 would invest, it was because seeing your customer discovery skills and mm-hmm. your ability to like actually talk to customers, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> is surprisingly rare <laughs> among founders. Um, not rare among successful founders, but rare among <laughs> founders. Uh, that was a, a big decision on our part, but what was the decision like on your part to go out and say, okay, I I think this can be huge. Let's go raise money. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's certainly, there's certainly the investors who make it their, their area, their interest area to invest in, you know, consumer products. Um, because I think there's a lot of passion in it, like of just being able to build something put it into people's hands and individuals' hands, get that feedback, see that impact in their life. I think a lot of people kind of get a high from that, including, you know, people who start those kinds of companies like me and then investors who want to be a part of that impact. So I think uh, it's a cool space. And in terms of scale, it's, you know, exciting too. Like every home could have you know, four or five. We have three. Yeah. Love it. (laughs) Two two person household and three mamas in it. There you go. Good ratio. So I think there's definitely that profile and one of our other investors, Social Starts and Joyant's partners, that is a part of their thesis within health and happiness. Mm, So they like CPG for that category. Yeah, because consumer products have this ability to make people really happy too. And so... But in terms of why we raised, I think for us, it was a question of, you know, this could be a business that we could grow slowly and it could be profitable and, you know, we could have impact in so many years, but what do we, why are we really starting this? And it's because this is something we want to see in the world and we want to see in everyone's house. And I don't want to see it in 20 years. I want to see it in five years and growing a business at that rate that's something that a certain type of firm is the best kind of capital for you know certain type of financing options right for that than others yeah so i think what's cool is that we kind of have both where yes we are a business business 
where, you know, we have revenue coming in, which is cool. Not that other businesses aren't, but, <laughs> but no, but I mean, there are businesses that they're, they're very, um, research oriented right. or just the way that the business model in their industry works. So like life sciences are an example of this where yes. you don't actually sell anything maybe mm-hmm. ever, but you get acquired by like Pfizer. Right. Right. Um, and I think it's that, a different kind of business. Yeah. And I think that that also, when you, that makes me realize that when you ask like, why did we go into this business? It's also like a business model that to engineers or, or first time founders, it makes sense. You sell, you make something and you sell it to a person. What a crazy idea. Right. <laughs> where now as a business where I'm buying all these like enterprise software tools or business tools i'm like oh yeah that's another business model which i had no clue about before just coming out of school and research i just wasn't on my radar this is an interesting point actually okay i've talked to a number of people who uh, about like career choices right and there's this idea that i think it's john gatto he's an old author that passed away a couple years ago has pointed out that if you talk to like most 18 year olds what they want to be when they graduate from college or whatever they decide to go do they usually give you some variation of, of a job that they've just seen mm-hmm. because that's just how we kind of like work. Mm-hmm. And when I talk to founders who they're working on something really weird and niche, it's usually that they were exposed to it at like a really young age. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that if you're on like more of a, a research kind of track, you're going to jump to a consumer product first. Yeah. 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 Cause I, yeah. But now my world is much more as a founder you know, my, my view of like what a business model could look like is so much more varied. Yeah. There's all these different, there's all these problems you didn't know that you had. Right. Yeah. (laughs) There's a a software solution for all of them. (laughs) Sometimes a hardware solution, sometimes both. Exactly. And it's largely a function of what you expose yourself to. Yeah. Yeah. And you were exposed to, um, agriculture mm-hmm. and people telling you like hey i want to give you money for this yeah so it makes sense that it would be so not and you can't do like an agriculture software product oh yeah you can ton of them uh, for like managing <laughs> agriculture i mean you can't like give someone a garden on their in their kitchen oh. with software yeah well people love those uh farming games that's the other that's, <laughs> that's, farm, farm, that's the company that made farmville is like a multi-billion yeah, dollar company now yeah see there's an inherent like human interest to grow something oh, it's something we've we've done for thousands of years of course. yeah it's a super mainstream interest too like that was something that i think surprised a lot of people is that the stat is literally one in three households is engaged in like food gardening of some kind it's just so inherent it's a really interesting curiosity i wonder if that surprises people because a lot of the people that one might talk to about that are like living in shoeboxes in san francisco yeah. <laughs> um because like if you spend time in mid-market cities people actually have gardens space yeah, yeah. space like you're in sacramento now yeah right? mm-hmm. where people actually have yards yeah <laughs> i don't have a yard yet <laughs> but a lot of people in sacramento do right yes that is true or like when i'm out east or in the midwest you know, like I have a front yard and a backyard, yeah, mm-hmm. like somewhere I could put a garden in. So it's it's interesting to think about what. But what, then the thing is, when it's missing, when you are in the shoebox, you notice it and you right, crave it. Right. And that's where her mama comes in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Interesting. So so uh, while you've been uh, scaling up the business, what's been something that's surprised you on the customer discovery front? 
how people are actually using the product. Mm, yeah. I think the openness to like growing more has been interesting. I think, you know, it was part of our product roadmap and idea that the one tray was kind of a Lego block where it's just super easy. You get that, you realize how easy it is. And then, you know, multiplying that by five or three or whatever is just as easy because of the streamlined uh, nature of, of the seed quilt for growing. And so, you know, before we even kind of present presented that as an idea, that started happening. People were kind of growing more at once, staggering the growing cycle. I think the a big one was that it was it wasn't as much younger people who were the primary people getting attached. Uh, let's see another thing. Yeah, like, is, like boomers is not the category I would have expected I know, to be right? users of this. Yeah, but it's... But I also see, like, younger people don't cook as much, and that's mm. where I see this really coming in handy. Yeah. One's cooking, they want to add some kind of flavor. Right. But I don't want to make a whole, like, broccoli dish. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of cool to see how it kind of integrates with other food products. Like, you definitely see occasionally, you know, you add it to your meal kit or this or that. But, yeah, that's a good point. People who, I mean, if you're eating at home more, you're going to be looking for this ingredient more i think another thing that was surprising was um people like it for their pets hmm. yeah so i okay i'll like you know maybe you know once a day see a bunny eating our microgreens or a bearded dragon or a parrot or this or that where the pet food market is super interesting where it's like the human food market but on steroids because people care about their pets even more. Yeah, I've got really mixed fin- uh, feelings about this. <laughs> <laughs> Do tell. That's like, yeah, no, that's a whole nother rabbit hole, no pun intended. Um, no, yeah, I've seen, for example, uh, raw milk, at least in Pennsylvania. You can't buy it for a human, but you can mm-hmm. buy it at an animal food store. Mm-hmm. And people will spend a lot of money on it yeah. for their pets Yeah. and stuff like that. Do you have any pets? Not right now. But... Anything else that you want to hit on? Let me see. I kind of feel like we went we went all the way across and back and forth. Was there anything you think I missed about the journey? No, I, I, like I really I wanted to dig into your customer discovery and yeah. like how you ended up going from like engineering to running a yeah. food tech. Oh, well, that's a good point is that there's still, I think the beauty of the engineering background is that just like wanting to build everything ourselves like we build yeah, our, so, so we build our machinery we build our uh you know we can do the product development we can do the cad we need to get done we can you know fix our website ourselves you know uh you know now we're moving towards you know working with partners to do things at you know a larger scale but you know those quick fixes or those things we want to test that experiment we want to set up that new process we want to run it's like we're building it and then we can and we really like manufacturing as well so we're running a warehouse now and so day to day i think you know people don't realize we're still doing quite a lot of that engineering thinking and it has helped us be able to be really lean thanks so much camille thank you zach
Founders First is a Project 1517 fund. 1517 Fund is a venture capital fund backing founders at the earliest stages of their careers and companies. If you are a founder, hacker, maker, or scientist working outside of universities, you can reach out to us at 1517fund.com. That's 1517fund.com. We'd love to talk to you.